0: We come together to lift our voices in song to you because you are worthy and we open your word and we listen with contrite hearts. Father God, we pray that in these moments this morning that you would reveal to us afresh something of your weightiness. May we feel in a fresh way the gravity of who you are. We pray that as we open up your word, as we look at these themes this morning, that you would speak into our hearts and lives, that you would reign in our thoughts where they may be scattered. Father, would you corral them and bring them into captivity? And give us an unusual capacity to focus. Lord God, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts in whatever condition we're in this morning. May we hear the voice of God through your word, by your spirit, speaking to us now. And so we commit this time to you. We pray that you'll minister to us for your own name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you look to the screens. The city of Tannis is one of the possible resting places of the lost ark. The lost ark. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do you mean, do you mean Ten the, Commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Herab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Do you guys ever go to Sunday school? There's a picture of it right here. That's it. Yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought. Uh, now what's that supposed to be coming out of there? Lightning. Fire. power of God or something. You need to understand Hitler's interest in this. Oh, yes. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. Well, oh, city right. of An army that carries the ark of God before it is Invincible. What a great movie. Do you, any of you remember that? Apparently there's a new sequel that's just out in the movies now. I'm looking forward to seeing that. You'll see uh, just why we've uh, started with that uh, movie clip as we proceed. This morning's message is taken from the next big slab. In 1 Samuel. And it's, uh, we're going to be covering uh, chapter 4 through to the end of chapter 7 this morning. So I really hope you had a chance to read ahead and just catch up with some of the narrative of this section of scripture. I'm going to give the message this morning, this title, A Circuitous Journey, a Raiders of the Lost Ark, but also Returning of the Lost Heart. It's not just the ark that goes on a journey, you see. It's also mirrored by the way that uh, the heart of God's people went on a journey and comes back. So um, last week we were introduced to uh, young Samuel as a boy being woken in the night in the tabernacle by a strange voice he'd never heard before. And now as we continue in the story... Uh, that boy is growing up and other events are transpiring around the nation, very significant events. And they all really centre on and focus on uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, we do believe in that kind of stuff, Dr. Indiana Jones. Did you like my dad joke in the email this week? Did any of you see that? Uh, what was uh, Dr. Indiana Jones's occupation in this first movie? He was an archaeologist. Did you like that, A-R-K? Hey, yeah? You want to hear another one? Do we have any choice? Some of you might say. (laughs) Did you hear about that uh, Boys Brigade quiz that they were having? And uh, anyway, there were three really bright young juniors and they were having their final sort of quiz off, you know. So the quiz master asked this question to these three bright young chaps. um, How many Ds in Indiana Jones? And the first junior, quick as a flash, says one. The second one, a little bit tentatively, says "Mm, two. The third one starts 54. The quiz master looks puzzled, says 54, and this guy says, Yeah. Hey, da da, da, eh? how's that? All right, okay, moving. My wife is just shaking her head at Moving right along. Okay, well, this section of scripture follows this sacred. A piece of furniture, this Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Not a big chest, but overlaid with gold, uh, poles through it to be carried by priests and some very important uh, memorabilia, so to speak, within this chest. Uh, The tablets that Moses came down from Mount Sinai with, uh, Aaron's butter, a little bit of manna and there's these cherubim that would sort of hover over with their wings or molded out of gold hovering over it and a mercy seat on the top. A very important piece of furniture that would normally stay right in the the holiest of holies in the tabernacle. And so this passage is a a journey that we see as this, um, this ark gets lost and then found. But we're also going to be mapping not only that circuitous journey of the ark we're also going to be mapping the circuitous journey of the heart of God's people, going from a straying, wandering, and then bit by bit through hardship and grief coming back. And I believe that this story will speak into our lives today to give us a map of where we may be, where you may be in your spiritual journey. Much of it revolves around names and the importance of names, The name of a child, the name of places, names that are packed with meaning. So this morning we're going to go on a journey from Ichabod via Beth Shemesh to Ebenezer. If you like, we're going to go from departed to half-started to wholehearted. And you'll see the way that this journey unfolds as we go. So let's start. Ichabod, departed. Chapter 4. Uh, Verses 1b through to 22, that whole chapter, really is set around a battlefield. What happens on a battlefield and then the news that comes from that battlefield. Uh, The Israelites are at it again with their uh, arch enemies, the Philistines. Here's this um, group of people that uh, long ago had arrived from Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. And they'd come and settled along five main cities on the coastlands, uh, bordering the Mediterranean and in this area now we know as uh, Israel. And so the Israelites have gone out to the battlefield. They are camped on one side, these Philistines who uh, always seem to be opposed to God's people, to God's purposes. They worship foreign gods Uh, They're always at war. This is a period of time of warring tribes. And they are on the other side. The first battle commences. And it is a resounding defeat. 4,000 Israelites get killed in this first battle. Well, when the people of God suffer a defeat like that, naturally it raises a question. Why? Why on earth did God allow us to suffer Such a terrible defeat. Very good question. Unfortunately, the people asking that question, the elders, didn't wait, voice that question to God, pray, and then wait for God's insight. Had they done that, they would have discovered that God was actually bringing to bear some of the judgment that he'd already indicated he would enact in the previous couple of chapters. And we saw some of that last week. There's some rotten spiritual leadership In Israel. And God is at work to bring his pre-stated judgment to bear. But they didn't wait. Instead, some of them come up with this brilliant idea. It turns out to be a disastrous idea. Now, there's some merit in it. Yep, of course, it must have seemed good at the time. But somebody said, why don't we go grab the Ark of the Covenant and bring that out with us? And then, let me read how they how they put it. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant, chapter 4, verse 3. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh from Shiloh, where the tabernacle was. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. Did you notice that? What will save us? It will save us. <laughs> so is God being sought with this? You know? Is it God that they're trusting in? Are they proceeding prayerfully carefully with dependency on god no not at all what they're doing here there's a lot more resemblance to magic Now, of course some um, eli's sons hophni and phineas are there they're probably approving of this whole idea there's no surprises there these guys have long ago lost their moral and spiritual compass they're not going to intervene with any godly counsel and so Do you see what the people of God are doing? They're taking something that belongs to God, some holy thing, some sacred thing, and they know that somehow God's power operates through this, will attend this piece of holy furniture dedicated to God and the worship of the one true God. But they don't relate with God. They just want to take something of God to enable them in their agenda to serve their purposes. Do you see why I say that that actually bears a lot more resemblance to magic than to actually relating with God? The essence of magic is that we want to dabble with something that has spiritual power, spiritual things. We've got enough nows to know there is a spiritual realm. Us Westerners often struggle with that. People who deal with magic know there's a spiritual realm. They want to dabble with things that have spiritual power but here's the thing they want to manipulate that to serve their own ends and that's exactly what the people of God are doing here they are trying to relate with God in terms of magic keep God at bay and just use his stuff so that we'll be successful we'll be able to make a name for ourselves we'll have good victory and success on the battlefield do we ever do that now do we ever fall into that trap of instead of relating with the one true god we should take his stuff and we say well this will make us successful you know this will really help my agenda and so sometimes we can thump our bibles and say well you know we're bible believing people that should make us successful but we don't Relate with the God who wrote the Bible. Or we can try to cite our our doctrines or our prayer meetings or our religious behaviours and habits and say, well, God should give us success because we're doing these things. Friends, it it can have a lot more resemblance to magic than to actually relating with God. Zero relationship with God—it's a disturbing possibility. Well, back to the story. Everybody loves this idea. Everybody's on board, and so yeah, let's, let's get the ark. So they grab the ark. Hophni and Phineas are, are there. They're all part of this, and so the second battle commences. And in this second battle, now it's not 4,000 people who are killed, but it's 30,000 people who are killed. And Hophni and Phineas die in that battle. And perhaps worst of all, the ark is captured by the Philistines. It's now been forfeited. Now it's out of the hands of the nation of Israel. And now these uh, sworn enemies of God and of God's people actually have possession of the ark. And so somebody runs from battle with the news and they come back to Shiloh to tell news of this. And they're basically saying Israel has fled, there's been a a great defeat, Um, Hophni and Phinehas have have died uh, and the ark has been captured. And there's old Eli, 98 and a bit overweight and he's sitting down, he's keen to hear what's been going on on the battlefield. He hears this news And the shock of it hits him and he falls over and dies right there and then. And then the news goes to Eli's daughter-in-law, to Phineas's wife. She's in labor. And as she hears the news that um, the army has been defeated, that her husband has died, that her father-in-law has died, that the ark has been captured in her final breaths, as she is giving birth to her son, as her midwives are saying, don't lose heart, don't lose heart, she says, I'm going to name this child a name that nobody ought to name any child. I don't think you'll see this in books of possible names that you could name your children. She calls her boy Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. This is what she says. She named the child Ichabod, which means, where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. I wonder, do any of you know here this morning what it feels like to be in a moment, to have gone through some series of events where you would look over that and you would say, yeah, that's an, that's an Ichabod moment. That's a moment where it feels like the glory of God departed, where we suffered defeat, where what once was is no longer, where what we once had has now gone. And it feels like the people of God are overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with this sense that God has given no assurance of his protection or his presence. I wonder if any of you know what that feels like. To go through some period in your lives and you just feel like, where is God? Ichabod, the glory of God has departed. What a tragic place. What's going on here? Why is this? I I tell you what this is. This is reaping and sowing that's what this is You see the apostle Paul put it this way Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 he said do not be deceived god is not mocked he will not be mocked for whatever one sows that they will also reap those who sow to their flesh to their sinful nature will from that sinful nature reap destruction you keep sowing to satisfy your sinful nature, you will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. You see, this, um, this nation has got spiritual leaders over it, Hophni and Phinehas, who have been sowing spiritual abuse and moral corruption for years. And their dads brought it to their attention and they just refused. And dad won't hold them to account for it either. And they've been sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing. So what happens here? They're reaping. And here's the thing about sowing and reaping. There's always a time gap between when you sow and when you reap. It'll be the same kind. You don't sow wheat and then reap barley. It'll be the same kind. There'll be more in most seasons. (laughs) And there's a time delay. And we often misinterpret that time delay and think, oh yeah, I I know I've sort of been doing wrong things, but hey, nothing's happening. God isn't catching up with me. Maybe he's not concerned. Uh -uh -uh. Do not misunderstand that time delay. This is just sowing and reaping. You've been sowing spiritual abuse and moral corruption and so now there's a reaping. Friends, sometimes, not always, but sometimes those moments of Ichabod in our lives, It's just a matter of sowing and reaping. That we've been continually doing things that have been rebellious against God, disregarding God, refusing any godly counsel that people have been trying to bring to us. And all that's happening in those moments of Ichabod is it's catching up with us. God is catching up with us. And he's letting the natural consequences of our rebellious behavior come with full force upon us. I wonder if any of you feel like you're in an Ichabod this morning. Hold on, the story's not finished yet. We're travelling from Ichabod, secondly, to Beth Shemesh. I'm going to call it half-started, from departed to half-started. So now the ark is actually among the Philistine uh, people in those uh, cities, those five main cities on the, the Mediterranean coast. And now that they have possession of the ark, they begin to experience the power of God among them. But it comes with disastrous consequences. So they, they place the ark in their temple of their, one of their gods, Dagon. It doesn't work out too well for Dagon. Every morning they wake up, put Dagon's on his face and there's arms and legs all shattered. You know They try to fix him up, next morning same again and more. And it doesn't work out too well for the people. Apparently, at this particular time there is an infestation of rodents and they know enough to join the dots. And with the rodents, there's these tumours. They'll be translated differently depending on what translation you've got. Uh, Some some older translation will call them hemorrhoids. It's probably better understood as bubonic plague carried by those rodents. And so these um, people in these cities start playing some sort of a tragic version of pass the poison parcel. You have it. No, no, you have it. No, you have it. They're trying to get rid of this. They reach a point of desperation and so they turn to their local spiritual uh, sort of pagan priests and mediums, diviners saying, what should we do with this? We've got to get rid of this somehow. And these spiritual pagan priests, they don't they don't serve Yahweh but they know enough about the spiritual realm. They say, "Ah, oh, what you've got to do is you've got to send it back with a guilt offering. That's what you've got to do. And You've got to um, provide some offering where you have crafted something. So their brilliant suggestion was, why don't you craft five gold rats to represent the five cities and the five lords over those cities, and five gold tumours. What would that look like, I wonder? Five gold, five gold uh, bubonic plague tumours or hemorrhoids. Eh? That doesn't bear much thinking about it, does it? But why don't you put that on a cart that's led by two cows that have just given birth to calves, and then... If they go, you'll know that this is God. See, they knew enough to say, you've actually offended the God of Israel. and You don't want to mess with that God because we've heard stories of what happened in Egypt. So you have to try to assuage his anger. So send those cows back. And if they go, you'll know that, yeah, God's the one that you've offended and he's accepting. It's not normal for cows to leave their calves. But off go these cows lowing along the way and they arrive at the borders of Israel at a place called Beth Shemesh. So now the people in Beth Shemesh lift up their heads. They see this ark coming to them with these cows lowing along the way. They are overjoyed. The ark is back. Things are on the up. This should be good news for the people of Israel now, right? Not so much. Because they still don't know how to deal with this holy God. They've gone from departed, but now it's sort of half started. And so this is what the scriptures say on Samuel six nineteen. And the Lord Yahweh struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon or looked into the ark of Yahweh. They didn't know how to deal with these holy things in a reverent way. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the, Yahweh had struck the people with a great blow. Then the people of Beshemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Where can we send the ark from here? So we're not in Ichabod anymore. We're not in that place where it feels like the glory of the Lord has departed. The ark has returned. It's no longer in the hands of the enemy. This, this is an occasion for real joy, but they still don't know how to handle the holy things of God. And some blokes irreverently look into the ark, and so God strikes 70 of them at God's hand. So there's an occasion of mourning. This is the place of half starter. I wonder if some of you know what that feels like in your own spiritual lives. That you've started to make some steps with God, but it's not complete yet. So you start coming along to church on Sunday mornings, but you're still hanging out with a bad company on Friday nights. You come along and try to worship and pray, but you're still involved in habits that drastically need redress. This is a halfway place. It's a place where there's warring inside. The Apostle Paul talked about it. That that sinful desires and the desires of the spirit are in conflict together. So sometimes there can be some joy, but sometimes there's this lamenting. Halfway Christians are the most miserable people on earth. There's some indication that God's in their lives, but it's loose still clueless about how to really relate with this holy God. It's Beth Shemesh, you see. It's half-started, a place of joy and mourning. It's a bittersweet lamenting. More needs to happen yet. Watch how it plays out from Ichabod to Beth Shemesh and now thirdly to Mizpah, to Ebenezer, a place of wholehearted. Now the ark is safely uh, being looked after from Beth Shemesh into another place, abbreviated to KJ, Kiriath, uh, Jerem. It's going to be there for 20 years. And that little boy that was in the temple last week has now grown. And uh, he reappears into the narrative and this is what he says. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines so the people of Israel put away the baals and the Ashtaroth. they were gods of fertility seen in an agricultural culture you really want to make sure you can get a good season so pagan cultures would design gods they would pray to these are fertility gods baal is the bloke and his girlfriend is Ashtaroth. And the Israelites have picked these up. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served Yahweh only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. You see, there's some ripples of a spiritual renewal that's beginning to happen. Family upon family, village upon village. Samuel sees it and he says, ah, oh, we need a big corporate gathering. Gather at Mizpah. And I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out. I think that's symbolic of their hearts being poured out before God. They poured that water out before the Lord and they fasted on that day and they confessed there, we have sinned against the Lord. Hmm. So the ark has come back. But look at this, so too of their hearts. They're returning to the Lord. So Samuel steps up and he calls it straight. If this is real, he says, then there needs to be a thorough dealing with the stuff that you've stored away in your homes. It's time to get rid of these idols that you've accumulated from your neighbours, things that now occupy a place in your heart that should be reserved for God alone. Things that you're looking to, to provide what only God can provide. It's time to clean stuff out, he says. And so a spiritual renewal begins to take hold. It's a moment of Mizpah. I wonder if we need something like Mizpah. Do we need a moment of spiritual renewal? Have we got idols that we need to get rid of as the people of God? Do we need a wholehearted moment? Not just half-started, wholehearted. When we say it's time to get rid of stuff. See, it's not just that we're turning to God, oh, that's well and good, but we're turning away from stuff that is not appropriate as well. Do we need to get rid of some things? The friends, can to be honest? Is there a relationship that you need to stop? Is there a phone number that you need to remove from your phone? Is there an app that you need to delete? Is there a place that you need to stop going to? Is there a habit that needs killing? Is there a show that you need to stop watching? Is there some go-to thing that you look to, that we look to for satisfaction? And you actually say, no, I'm going to stop doing that. And I'm going to redirect my heart to this God, wholehearted and to serve him alone. And so they gather at Mizpah and they start this wholehearted spiritual renewal. Do we need that? I suspect we probably do. I suspect that every group of people who are the Lord's people will need some moments in our lives where we say, I've let some clutter accumulate in my heart. And it's time to get rid of it and to confess it before God and to turn to him alone. This God who cannot be managed. This God who cannot be manipulated. This God who is holy and great and awesome and glorious. And I need to bow before him in submission. But look what happens. The, uh, those Blooming Philistines, they hear that all of Israel has gathered at Mizpah. So they think, oh, here's a great chance for a a single one-hit wonder against those people. The Israelites hear that the Philistines are coming against them. And so they turn to Samuel and they say, can you cry out to God for us, please? See the change that's happening? So no longer are they reverting to magic. No longer are they thinking, oh, if we just take the ark, it'll give us success. Now they're actually calling out to God. They've smashed their idols. They've confessed their sins. Their hearts are turning to God and they're praying to God and they're asking Samuel, you pray to God for us. Listen to what happened. This is wonderful. So as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. You know, I remember in Geraldton Baptist when I was pastoring up there, there was a local guy, a lovely gentleman, John Bruce, was preaching from this passage. And as he got to that verse 10, the Lord thundered. You know what happened? (laughs) There was thunder! I mean, wow, everybody, they had their attention. You know what I've been praying for this week? (laughs) But would you? Would you just show that this is the kind of stuff you're capable of, that boom, God thunders with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, threw them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel. The men of Israel went out from Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, struck them as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone. See, they've just experienced a victory and Samuel knows how to mark it. He took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah And Shen, and he called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And watch what happens after that. The Philistines were subdued, did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored back to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. You see what's now taking place? Now they're being uh, subduing their enemies. Now there is... uh, I had some... (laughs) I had some uh, highlighter there, but it's not converted properly. I was highlighting subdued, restored, delivered, peace. These are the kinds of things that happen now that they have turned wholeheartedly to God. And Samuel marked it with that stone and he names it Ebenezer. Yeah, they'd been in a place of Ichabod where it felt like the glory of God had departed. But then their hearts had come back via Beth Shemesh into a half-started sort of tumultuous place, a conflicted place where they're vacillating. Are they in, are they out? Wanting to relate with God, not knowing how. But now they've come back via Mizpah, a place of spiritual renewal. They've got rid of their idols and they're confessing their sins and they're turning their hearts wholeheartedly to God. And God intervenes in a thunderous way and brings protection and deliverance. And so Samuel knows how to market. I wonder if we know how to market. See, do you need to raise an Ebenezer this morning in your life? Has God broken in in your life and done something where you can actually look to that and say, God has helped me here. Right when I thought my marriage was about to go down the toilet, God stepped in and turned something around. Right when I felt like that work uh, culture was toxic, God stepped in. Right when I needed it, God gave a couple of friends and the strength that he ministered to me as those friends came around. That I I was without a job and and God just gave just the right job. We were looking for a house in this kind of market and all of a sudden God just provided that. Can you point to things in your life where you can say, you know, it felt like we were down for the count, we were ready to tap out and God just stepped in. And he showed his presence and his power. And this morning, we could be a people that raise an Ebenezer. I wonder if some of you need to do that this morning. Raise an Ebenezer and say, thus far the Lord has helped us. I bet there's some stories among this group of people. I bet there's some stories Colin could tell. 92 years old on Tuesday. Is that right, Colin? You'll be? I bet there's some stories you can tell of the way you've seen God help. times where you've seen God step in it's been a moment of Ebenezer identifying a moment where God has stepped in we need to lift up our thanks to God friends I can't leave the story there <laughs> yes we've, we've travelled from uh, from Ichabod via Beth Shemesh, to Mizpah and then Ebenezer. We've gone from a place where it felt like the glory of God had departed, but then God started to work. Some things have, have started to happen. It feels like a place of half started, but still more needs to get dealt with seriously. But then there's been a place of spiritual renewal, and now we can be a people who lift up our thanks and our praise and declare thus far the Lord has started. But I can't leave the journey just going from Ichabod to Ebenezer. Because this whole story begs us to go further. It begs us to come to the table. It's been a circuitous journey. We've gone from Ichabod via Beth Shemesh to Mizpah and Ebenezer, but it actually begs us to come to Jesus. The whole story leads to Jesus. In Jesus... The glory has not departed, friends. The glory of God has become flesh and dwelt among us and we've beheld his glory full of grace and truth. (laughs) He's not simply helped us, Ebenezer. He's died for us, Calvary, and he's risen. And now he dwells in us, Pentecost, He works among us to display his glory, church. And one day, one day he will thunder again and he will return for us, Perusia. And he will reign over us in a fully restored place, New Jerusalem. And he'll usher us into his glory and we will be forever with the Lord. The whole journey begs us to come all the way to Jesus. Come to the table and remember his death until he comes. And so I invite you this morning. Let's repent of our magic ways of trying to manage and manipulate God. Let's repent of half-hearted attempts to relate with God. Let's repent of idols that clutter our hearts and with our whole hearts, let's lift up our thanks and our praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I invite you now, come and take this bread and hold on to the cup so we can drink together. When he'd given thanks, he broke it And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why don't you come up and take some bread. And as you do, raise your Ebenezer. the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes is there anyone here who needs to raise an Ebenezer why don't we stand and let's drink together and let's proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise. The glory is not departed. You have come and become flesh and dwelt among us. You've died for us. You've risen. You indwell us by your spirit. You work among us and there's a day coming when you will return. And the glory of the Lord will fill this earth like the waters cover the sea. Holy Father, may we be a people who respond to you wholeheartedly. Where there's idols we need to get rid of, may we dispense with them. May there be smashed idols all over the place. May our hearts confess sins. May our hearts be turned to you wholeheartedly. And may there be one Ebenezer rock after another that's set up in our lives just declaring, thus far the Lord has helped us and he will help us yet. And our God will display his glory in our lives. And there is a glorious destiny that lies before us. Father God, we give you thanks and praise today. Lead us as we sing in Jesus' name.